Watchers Film Show. I'm Terence Marshall Edwards. I'm Matthew Ford. And I'm Rhys Jones. And today is our review of the year show. Bum, bum, bum. Woo! Yeah. This is, bizarrely and quite scarily, our 11th review of the year. Dunk, dunk, dunk. <laughs> and it never gets old. So we are going to be talking about the films that we have seen, the films that we liked, the films that are on our nice lists, and the films that are on our naughty lists. Naughty lists. Uh, so naughty, we... naughty film. Naughty, 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 naughty film. But not naughty in that way. It's not that kind of a show. But <laughs> before we get started... Other show, the Watchers... <laughs> <laughs> before we get started, the usual caveats apply... There's going to be spoilers and there's going to be swearing. So just be aware of that. And I think, boys, we should crack on. One of the best films that I've seen this year, Ryan Reynolds, Free Guy. Ah, that's on my list. Is that on your list? This is where I thought. I thought there would be, I thought there would be crossovers. Ah. I really liked it. I really liked it. For those who haven't seen it, Ryan Reynolds discovers that he is a non-playable character in a Grand Theft Auto-style video game, changing the rules of this world, and instead of killing and maiming people in violently creative ways. It looks like a big, noisy blockbuster, but Free Guy, it's smart, and the joy comes from how self-aware it is. The film plays homage to video games while also ripping the piss out of glitches. Video games that just haven't been developed properly. <laughs> uh, so you've got one character in it who's, who's who, they haven't even had time for a catchphrase for him. His, his catchphrase is catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it was such a simple joke, but it made me chuckle every single time. It was but the beefcake Ryan Reynolds that made The beefcake Ryan Reynolds, that's it. Catch the muscle friends. suit and he had no brain stem. <laughs> Just the funniest <laughs> ideas ever. <laughs> um, and despite impressive visual effects, Free Guy's biggest special effect for me is Ryan Reynolds' charisma. He, he makes a painfully naive, thoroughly decent character who on paper sounds really boring, someone you absolutely root for. Jerry Comer is awesome in it. As my, oh, but she's awesome in anything she does. But she mm. she brings a really Agreed. nice kind of like humanity to her role. Well, obviously she is a human in this in, in this world. But she, do you know what I mean she has this like real kind of edge to herself, which is really really cool. They kind of like clash in a good way, don't they? Like the two characters. Mm. It, there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot going on. You've kind of got the Matrix, Truman Show going on. There, there's it's a clever script. Yeah, that's on my list. I, lo- I, I, I absolutely massively enjoyed it. It was one I watched at home on streaming. It was on my list, mate. It's one of the best films this year, easily. You will so get Mariah Carey... Oh, God. Okay. I was going to say, you will get Mariah Carey stuck in your head, though, when you watch it. Yeah, you will. <laughs> For all the good reasons. Uh, which... Can I ask which... Because I haven't seen it. Can I ask which, which Mariah song? Sweet, sweet fantasy, baby. <laughs> that one. At least it's not all I want for Christmas is you. And also, oh, Matt Matthew Ford's album is out later in the year. <laughs> I'm, not ashamed, I'm not ashamed to say that song is a tune. It's a tune. <laughs> One of my favourite films that I saw this year is something that I saw as part of the award season fodder, and it's the, frankly, absolutely brilliant Promising Young Woman. Yes. So, 
It is written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who is also an actress, probably best known for playing Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. Now, what she's done is she's taken a an interesting traditional kind of revenge story and turned it on its head. It's got one of the best performances that I've ever seen by Carrie Mulligan, who plays the central character, Cassie. She has a experience of tragedy in her life where a friend of hers had, had sadly taken her own life. And she has decided that people need to pay and goes out and does it. But what's really interesting about the script and what makes the film so fascinating is that she is not a holier-than-thou hero she's flawed she's deeply flawed and what she's trying to do isn't quite on the level and you you're wondering kind of it's like you, you sympathize with her and you empathize with her and on one hand and then on the other hand some of the tricks that she plays you just think oh wow that is going too far stylistically very candy colored candy coated but that belies kind of the darkness underneath it i personally think kerry mulligan should have won the oscar uh instead of francis mcdormand because her performance it was just sublime but i am very happy that uh, emerald fennell uh, won the uh, best original screenplay oscar this film is not going to be to everyone's tastes i think for everyone that likes it You'll find people that don't, but for me, one of the strongest of the year, if not one of the strongest of, say, maybe even the last 10 years. Oh, high praise indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Reese, what have you got on your list? Obviously, uh, Matt's already taken free guy off you. He's taken free guy off you. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get in there quickly with the one I, I thoroughly enjoyed this year. Oh, I think I know what he's going to say. A film that I've been looking forward to for a while. And uh, the one that really, this year, my geeky comic book nerd has been thoroughly spoilt with. And that is The Suicide Squad. Oh, I knew he was going to say that. So I knew, knew it. Was it. Because it's a flipping amazingly oh, good film. I mean, look, <laughs> the, suicides, the Suicide Squad, let's just let's call it what it is, Suicide Squad 2. Let's just, let's just, just, <laughs> I've, got, I've got another podcast worth of rant about um, bloody films called, putting the word the in front of titles to try and get around having to put two or colon and, a, you know, the new yeah. Suicide Squad, everyone they want to do it. Suicide Squad 2. We all know that Suicide Squad came out in 2016 and came out to mixed reviews. Uh, I think it kind of split the three of us in our opinion on it. I, I liked it. It was all right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It hasn't it's stood the test of time well in any way. The more you watch it, oh, the more God, you view no, it. No, 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 uh, the rumours of a of an air cut that's coming out, apparently, or wanting to have an air cut. Let's move on. I don't think we need it, because uh, even his... I think, the, I think in this occasion, that original 2016 was cut down and re-edited by the suits for a reason, and we'll move on. For all the bad that of the 2016 version, there was a lot of good that came from Suicide Squad. You know, the... the the main thing that came from, of course, was Margot Robbie um, supersonicking up to the world with, with, with Harley Quinn and, and that spin-off move that we talked about last year, Tez. We both were thrilled and, and, and remarkably enjoyed a film that we didn't think we'd ever enjoy. Uh, a surprisingly nice film. Surprisingly exactly. Good 
Mm. The Suicide Squad or Suicide Squad 2. Suicide Squad is one of the most fun, energetic, easygoing, most uh, warped, original comic book movies I have seen in years. It has an ending that, you know, I can only describe as is basically Watchmen. Um, on acid um, <laughs> you know about a giant squid I think you know what I'm referring to it has that yep. kind of vibe to it it has a Watchmen ending kind of vibe they never dared to do in the Snyder version of Watchmen good or bad oh. or otherwise but so The Suicide Squad is a absolute example of getting it right when you're balancing comedy weird superhero madness and and also a lot of adult undertones and a lot of serious issues and and, and, and flawed characters. Uh, Peacemaker um, is one of my favourite characters in this film, played by John Cena, who now has got a spin-off TV show from it. Brilliant, deservedly so. And you know he is the epitome of flawed in a way his brain thinks in a two-dimensional, you know, right, wrong, patriotic, not patriotic, them or us. There is no grey. There is no double agents. There is no, there, you know, oh, bad kill. You know, it's, it's almost like Judge Dredd on acid, you know, like, oh, I can, I, there's so much in this film. Idris Elba obviously is brilliant. If if only, if his character is a little bit obvious that it was meant to be Will Smith's character, but we'll move on because there wasn't, there's a very <laughs> lot of similarities mm-hmm. in his character and a daughter and, um, <laughs> good with a gun <laughs> and you know but they are different characters from the comic book world but it was, it was a little bit dodged that uh polka dot man i love polka dot man that entire thing uh, the, the 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 shark and the voice voice best and then of course after saying all that then you have margot robbie who when she turns up quote unquote steal the show but she does but she doesn't need to she 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 just plays it so well and, and the film is just a joy an absolute joy a tour de force of james gunn going do you know what i can do dc as well matthew another one from you I just want—I just want to add with Suicide Squad, slow motion done well. Oh God! <laughs> How refreshing yes. is it to see? Because it feels like every superhero film has to have slow motion in it. Yes. And it was slow motion. It was almost balletic at times. The bit where where, where Harley Quinn t- hacks up an army of soldiers oh, right was... in the middle of the film in slow motion is just oh. And it was it, the bit it, where the blood went into flowers and you saw how her mind works and how she yeah. sees the beauty and the violence. And that, that, that whole symbolism is just shows like what James Gunn is as a filmmaker. He's not a one-note pony. He doesn't just do Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, you know, it'd be nice to see him do something other than a superhero and we'll see if he can do more notes. But, you know, that's, that's by and by. But, you know, yeah, absolutely. There's so much in this film that you could sit here and talk about for ages. <laughs> there we go we're even now one for one um, i don't think you will i don't think either of you will have seen this next one normally in the uh times before covid i would head off to edinburgh for oh, the here we go here we go oh, <laughs> sorry about you, you go where <laughs> so in case i haven't mentioned it i go to the uh or i used to go to the edinburgh international film festival does he ever mention this before to you because i'm not quite sure oh no he's I mean, this is this is news to me. I'm, is it I'm, news? Is it, it news? I've kept it quiet. I mean, it's ringing slightly a bell, but I'm not quite sure if it's a big ding dong or a slightly a ding 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 ding. <laughs> what? What? I ju- anyway, moving on. Mandibles. So, mand. How? How? Do, 
It's the most Jaws. It's the most batshit insane film. How do you explain this film to someone who has never seen it? Two slackers agree to drive a car across France, no questions asked. Opening the boot, they find a giant fly inside and decide to train it to make money. It is. It's so nuts. It's so wonderfully nuts. So, um, a giant fly? A giant fly that's okay. about the size of a small dog. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> It's it's the latest it's the latest film from and I hope I'm saying his name right um, director Quentin Dupuy Dupuy if he he's the guy who gave us the film Rubber which was about a serial killing oh, tire ah okay. same bloke okay. same bloke right? right so how I would pitch Mandibles is imagine if Wes Anderson made a batshit insane film. And that, that is Mandibles. It's got that kind of slacker comedy of Kevin Smith, but with this these kind of gorgeous, washed-out visuals that give it this kind of chocolate box feel. <laughs> Plus, it's a really sweet film. I, I was blubbing at the end. It's a really sweet film. It's essentially about a, a film about friendship with a, a massive CGI fly. And I would thoroughly recommend watching it. But the humor is the humor is dark. If if you there's there's one character who has had a stroke and can't help but shout at everyone all the time. If that if that is your humor, you are going to love Mandible. It is it's crazy. It's it's wonderfully beautifully crazy. Here's a question, though, Matt. Is it subtitled? Yes, so Reese won't want to watch it. I won't watch that. Oh, good Lord, that sounds insane. It is. It really, really is. (laughs) Over to you, Tez. Right, we'll stick with awards bait, because there was... Well, actually, it was a fairly good awards season, for the most part. There were a few things that didn't quite go the way that people expected, which led to the Oscars being a massive, massive anti-climate. And I'll go into that for you now, because my next choice for going on my nice list is the wonderful Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It is based on a play by August Wilson, and it's being produced by Denzel Washington, who is going to be overseeing the entirety of August Wilson's cycle of 10 plays which in which is also known as a century cycle Maraini's Black Bottom is one of them it, it is the only one of the of the 10 plays that is not set in Philadelphia it's set in Chicago and it takes the blues singer Maraini who was a real a real life person and puts her into a fictional recording session where lots of egos bash up against each other and wonderful discussions about race and talent and opportunity versus luck and it's it's a wonderful wonderful piece the film version does feel very much like watching a filmed theater production you can tell it doesn't really get out of its uh, stage basis but it doesn't need to because of the 
wonderful, wonderful performances throughout. Viola Davis, a woman that could make reading a Chinese takeaway menu sound like Keats, is brilliant in the lead role, but the show really belongs to the late Chadwick Boseman, who is just on another level as the young trumpeter Levy. For anyone who's only ever seen Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther, you've only seen a fraction of what that man was capable of. It is an absolute barnstormer of a performance. He was posthumously nominated for the Best Actor Oscar, and you can tell (laughs) that the organisers of this year's Oscars really thinking he was going to win because they chopped and changed things around so that Best Actor was the last award given of the evening and I think they were all hoping that it would go to Chadwick Boseman and it would be a very fitting emotional end to the show. Obviously that did not happen because Anthony Hopkins won and Anthony Hopkins was home in Wales in bed at about four o'clock in the morning so Oscar was accepted on his behalf, which made the evening, yeah, kind of fizzle out somewhat. You can tell that they were almost banking, I think, on Chadwick Boseman winning. And frankly, I think he should have, because it's just an outstanding performance. There are two moments where he gets these long eight or nine minute monologues and you are spellbound. Again, much like Promising Young Woman, it won't be to everyone's taste, but frankly, I think it's worth seeing for the performances alone. Well, that's highbrow. Yes. That's highbrow. That is. You're going to lower the tone, aren't you? (laughs) It's going to come crashing down. I saw an action film this year that blew me away. Wasn't expecting anything from it. I put it on, watched it, and that's Gunpowder Milkshake. Oh, is that the one with um, Karen Gillan in it? It's the one with Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, Carla Gallucci, Angela Bassett, Paul Giamatti, and Michelle Yeoh. Oh, it is... Wow, um, hell of a cast. It's a hell of a cast, and it is a absolutely brilliant bit of action noir. It's got this neon kind of punk kind of style mixed with uh, noir 50s all set well it's a fictional city but it feels very british when you're watching it the villains you know feel very british it's it's got this kind of it's it's one of those weird films that you you try and like explain but it's just it's got this guy richiness to it and this it's just such a fun romp of an action movie and the, the storyline is about a an assassin played by Lena Headey who, who has to go on the run and she leaves her daughter behind and then we cut years later and her daughter played by Karen Gillan has actually gone down the same path and is now an, uh, an assassin and uh, she inadvertently uh, kills someone she's told to kill and uh, she didn't and then it's one of those occasions where the guy who's actually an innocent party and then she ends up being responsible for his daughter to make sure his daughter doesn't end up dead as well and it all envelops and just goes bonkers from there 
So there's quite a lot of, of um, relationships and crossovers and drama in the background of, of what could have easily been just a, a shoot me up, shoot out, you know, movie. It, it mm-hmm. really blew me away this year. Um, I, I wish I'd seen it in the cinema, but I saw it at home. I, yeah, I would heartily recommend Gunpowder Milkshake. This is the last, the last one for me on my nice list. Go for it. Okay, my favourite film of 2021. Well, it's a big statement. It is a big statement. It is a big, big statement, statement, and I'm standing by this. Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Ooh. Thank you. Thank you, Tez. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. It's a documentary, isn't it? It's a documentary as well. Um, Part, part documentary, part concert film. It's directed by Questlove from The Roots, and it tells the story of the Harlem Music Festival of 1969. While Woodstock is kind of shouted from the rooftops, footage from Harlem has been forgotten and never seen. Harlem had arguably the greatest lineup of any festival. You had Nina Simone, Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, B.B. King, Mavis Staples, and that's just a few with this lineup. Summer of Soul is it's an essential look at some of the great greatest musicians who ever walked the earth. It's it's awe-inspiring. You have a 19-year-old nine, 19-year-old Stevie Wonder who for one minute one minute he's there going nuts on drums before going over to the piano. You've got Sly and the Family Stone, who you've never seen a band as tight as tight as that and you you probably never never will and juxtaposed with these performances in a matter of fact non-judgmental make your own mind up way Questlove portrays the riots the violence what black people in America were struggling with at the time in no uncertain terms you see what inner city black communities were up against which is what makes the music the performances kind of even more joyous to watch it's on disney plus and it's oh watch it it's it's up there with with documentaries like man on wire searching for sugar man in that it's how uplifting and just kind of food for the soul that it is it's oh i can't praise it enough sounds good it's it's one that i i've i've been aware of i've not seen it but it's one that kind of it's been highly praised this year as a how you do a documentary Mm. so yeah i I will i will give that a go because it's again it sounds like something that i would enjoy again we'll stick with we're going to stick with awards award stuff it was a film that was released via a streaming service and the reason i'm putting it on is basically it's one of those films it's a film about filmmaking which the Oscars absolutely go wild over. But it's also a very interesting character study of a very eccentric character. And it was David Finch's Mank, and that's Mank, M-A-N-K. It's a very unflattering, a very unflattering nickname for Herman J. Mankiewicz, the screenwriter. And the, the film is about him trying to write Citizen Kane. So having to deal, so having to deal with demands of Orson Welles, the demands of the studio, whilst he is recovering from a broken leg, and 
they've advised that he shouldn't be allowed to drink and he does his best work when he's had a few and it's not, I don't think it's a story that's particularly well known but it's brought to life beautifully by David Fincher led from the front by Gary Oldman who plays Mankiewicz who I mean again fantastic actor yeah I'm, I'm putting it on because performances are great the design the the production design the costumes everything about it is just absolutely sumptuous and period perfect the main reason i'm putting it on is because it's a film about filmmaking and i really like them so yeah believe it or not gentlemen is a documentary oh my days okay where's reese jones what have you done with him I thank you. I've changed a little in, um, uh, not really. When you find out what the documentary is about, it's, it's completely me. Shot back down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt's not the only one who can put a documentary into the uh, good list of 2021. I push my glasses up at you, sir. Uh, <laughs> Let's put it this way. It's, it's less of a surprise for Matt doing it. <laughs> Mine is a also uh, freely available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Matt, if you want to check it out. Um, it is a documentary called Stuntman, and it is the story about a, uh, a still actually a working professional stuntman by the name of Eddie Braun. If you look up Eddie Braun on IMDb, you will see he has a long list of career staging back to like the fall guy back in the 80s, all the way up to now to big, big movies and big TV series as a working stuntman. But his story in the documentary, the main focus of it is uh, about a dream that Eddie had ever since he was a kid. And, and he got into being a stuntman by being a fan. Of one of the most famous daredevil stuntmen that ever lived on the planet was Evil Knievel. He was a fan of Evil Knievel. Evil Knievel failed one, one of his most famous stunts and he failed to do it was the rocket over a uh, a canyon not the great canyon but it was a canyon out in america and he, he had a rocket and a ramp and the fired and it failed and he didn't make it across this gorge eddie wants to recreate this stunt and not just recreate but recreate it by with by using pretty much the same technology and the same designs and the same plans as yeah. knievel okay. he gets the help of the son of the original rocket maker of Eva Knievel's rocket involved to mm-hmm. make a new rocket. And what's even more beautiful is the son of the rocket maker. And the rocket maker was a guy that worked for NASA and he ended up making rockets as well. He, after the Knievel stunt failed, it kind of haunted him, this rocket maker. And he ended up making drafts of... Uh, rocket version 2 for Knievel if he ever came back to him and said he wanted to try it again mm. and uh, his son found these designs after he passed away and then in walks Eddie Braun wanted to do this stunt and so oh, the son wow. of the rocket maker gets to get the, the blueprints out that his father made for version 2 of his own rocket and that's the story really is, is the, of them the main focus of the documentary is them trying to get funding, trying to get permission of the local town to let them do it. And it's the story of, like, will they be able to get this done in a world where uh, Daredevil things don't sell seats on streaming like they used to? And also, while you're you're looking at um, Eddie trying to get this done, it's also the story of Eddie Braun and the story of the stuntman, which is a very skilled, brave thing that that us movie buffs and film lovers 
kind of take for granted that that they're there. They're, they're, they're the faceless stars of these movies. You know, they do they do things that are insane, and they put they literally put their life on the line with skill, with practice, and it's a real humbling story. It really affected me when I watched it. I, I, I didn't, I watched it just out of the interest. I thought I'd give it a go, but honestly, boys, I would put my hand on my heart and tell you that it's one of the best pieces of documentary I have seen in a long time. And like, like you said, Tez, it, it is something that's interesting to me because it's about filmmaking and a part of filmmaking that I've always said they should be included in the Academy. And oh, totally. It should be best done, best done performer, yes. best done choreographer. Be. There should be all these awards that should be there for the craft and to recognise the brave souls that do their job. It's a fantastic documentary. Please give it a go. That that they've not seen fit to include even something just like Stunt Ensemble yeah. to, to the Oscars is an egregious, egregious oversight. I've got a bit of a two-for-one on this one. I enjoy a musical. I think that's fair to say. That's fair to say. That's fair to say. So I've got two that I want to talk about, both on the nice list, because they are just superb examples of the craft. So the first one I'm going to talk about, I'll only talk about it very briefly, called Tick, Tick, Boom. It's directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, starring Andrew Garfield, who is just brilliant in it, playing the Broadway composer and lyricist Jonathan Larson. Now, Jonathan Larson is a name that a lot of people know from musical Rent. The first thing that he wrote, though, the first musical he wrote, was called Tick, Tick, Boom, which was a semi-autobiographical kind of catharsis for him, having spent a lot of time on a project that just did not see the light of day. So it's about passion and the creativity and how you do it and what you give and what you lose and what you gain from it absolutely superb superb the music the songs absolutely out of this world it's full of heart it's full of soul and it's full of poignancy because as a lot of people will know Jonathan Larson never actually got to see the success of Rent because he died on the the night before it opened so to see this is quite bittersweet what also makes it bittersweet is it's got one of the last things that Stephen Sondheim did before the maestro passed because in real life Sondheim was mentor to Jonathan Larson and in the stage show and also in the this film they play a voicemail message that Sondheim left Larson to basically encourage him to say don't give up you've got something I'd like to talk to you about it whilst in Tick Tick Boom Sondheim is played by Bradley Whitford as, a, as an on-screen character. That voice recording that you hear right towards the end was actually recorded by Stephen Sondheim. That one is uh, not exactly feel-good, but the second musical that I want to talk about is very feel-good, and that is the film version of Everybody's Talking About Jamie, a stage show based on, actually based on a documentary about a 16-year-old drag queen from Sheffield. I'd class it as the same kind of same kind of thing as like the Full Monty or Billy Elliot. It's one of those kind of scrappy underdog. I'd say definitely give it a go. Richard E. Grant's fantastic in it. He plays a drag queen and looks <laughs> fabulous when he's actually dressed up 
dressed up to the nines. A wonderful performance by Max Harwood, who plays Janie, young, a very a young performer. I think it's his first film, but I think he's got a hell of a career ahead of him. He's wonderful in it. And the surprising performance for me really came from Sarah Lancashire, who plays his mum. And if you know the show, or you, well, even if you don't, one of the big show numbers in it is sung by Margaret, by Jamie's mum, basically saying that she'll always, stand, she'll always stand by her son, she'll always have his back. And it's a moment that when you see it on stage, if it's done, if it's done properly, will bring people to their feet. And you have that same reaction in this moment. And it's just wonderful. Uh, I'm going to bring things to a crashing halt. Um, <laughs> not as, as, as high a brow in any way. Uh, I should have saved Stuntman to last, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got, I've got four. Um, I'm just going to quickly, but I've got one I want to talk about in depth. But I'm just going to mention the other three that are not, uh, they're not exceedingly good and they're not exceeding, but they're not, more importantly, exceedingly bad. But of this year, they are some of the better uh, throwaway, enjoyable films that you can just watch and also forget about your troubles outside in the world that's going on. And I think that's important at the moment. It's my first trip back to the cinema after 18 months, pretty much about having to see a film in the cinema, which, um, you know, uh, if you're a film filmophile like me, is a long time, was Fast and Furious 9. And um, I'm just going to quickly say that film is stupendously stupid. And if you expected <laughs> anything other than a ridiculously OTT film, you're in the wrong universe and the wrong film uh, viewing situation, especially when it's number nine. If you've not seen the other eight, you don't know what you're getting. Shut up, move on. It is what it is. The other two and the last three are all comic book movies. And at the moment, it's for another podcast I think guys that we talk about well maybe is it time as we have we had too much of a good thing we might do that next year and talk about it in more in depth I think that might be interesting I'll quickly shout out Marvel's two that uh, two of two of the two two movies that have come this year was Shang-Chi and Black Widow Shang-Chi is a new character to a lot of people um, it's a fun romp it brings in a lot of kung fu elements and it is, it is a lot, it's just a lot of fun it's Marvel it does what they do what they do best as ever uh, Black Widow uh, is the last part of Natasha's story, played by Scarlett Johansson, and it is a prequel to the events of Infinity War and Endgame. And it is yeah, it's good. It's it's a good fun romp. It's not great. It's not bad. And it's not awful. But again, it is what it is. And in some places, it's very very good. It's solid. That's the trouble with Marvel. Mm -hmm. They seem to be solid. My final one that I want to highlight a bit more. Is a film that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, we had a version of it given to us in 2017, and it was a little bit too colourful. It was a little bit too dodgy, effects mm -hmm. hiding moustaches. And then in March of this year, we finally got the version that, well, not the version, but an illustriously um, added to and extra put on, bolted onto it, whistles and bangs version of. Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was released in March, which is a tour de force of a director's cut ultimate edition. I think it's the best way to describe it. But what you do have when you get past the four hour viewing time 
Um, and remember, his original script was actually going to be Justice League Part 1 and Justice League Part 2. So yeah. what you have here is Justice League Part 1 and Justice League Part 2. So I do encourage you to watch it in two halves because that was what it was designed for in the first place. <laughs> so I mean, quite frankly, there is a point where you can go, to be continued next summer. That's the kind of vibe that it is. But what you've got here is the full four-hour cut. It, it is it is chalk and cheese. It's vastly different to the 2017 Joss Whedon version. Was wrong with Just League 2017 was mostly the, the suits and what they perceived they wanted Just League to be rather than what they had and they they questioned what had come a man of steel they questioned coming back batman versus superman and what you've got with this just league is the third act you have a, a, tr- a trilogy of sort because obviously it's part one part two the final tale and you've got the snyder you, you're not going to get any more snyder boots that's not going to happen but this is now a, a way of you enjoying those three films back to back as part of the dceu or whatever that means at the moment <laughs> For me, it was absolutely brilliant. It was such a fun watch. It, it, and when you watch it, some films feel like four hours. I am, I am hand my heart. I can tell you now, this version of Justice League is absolutely brilliant. It's breathtaking. It is fun. It has got the darkness of DC to the right balance. Uh, it, the the visuals, the design of the villain is a lot better because it's Snyder's design. It's uh, like I don't think Snyder's the next brilliant filmmaker on the planet. I just mean when he does comic book movies, this guy does DC well and let him do it his way. And this is the this is what you get when you let him do it his way. If you like me and you've got the 2017 version on your shelf, well that 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 will be now going in the bargain basement of of, of a local charity shop, and I will only have one version on my shelf and it's the four-hour cut. That is my end of my good movies. I think that's the end of our good movies. Yep, Mm. it is. Okay, so as you know, if you're a regular listener, or if you're not a regular listener, uh, the three of us have an eclectic different taste in film. But Matt is our connoisseur of horror. He is our dark keeper of the vault. So he is going to give us a roundup of free horror films. Do you, don't laugh. I thought it was one of the best intros I've keeper done for you keeper in a long of time. The vault. I thought it was one of the best intros no. I've done in a long time for you. So shut up and then do your horror bit then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, controversially, this is going on the list because... It didn't scare me, but I enjoyed it. Censor. It's Welsh director. And God, I went to when I went to see this, I went to the QA as well. So you'd think I'd remember a name, wouldn't you? How to say a name. Prano, and I'm sorry if I've got this wrong. Prano Baby Bond. It's her feature film debut, and it's a cold black comedy with set pieces and dialogue that will have you gleefully laughing if you are a sick and twisted individual like me. So it's about a woman called Enid, who is a film censor in the 80s. It's classifying a film that plays out all a little bit too similar to when her sister disappeared as a child and decides to investigate. It's pitch black comedy, but also razor sharp satire. Very much kind of talking about how in Thatcher's day, pointing at video nasties as this is, the, this is what's causing our youth to do all these terrible things. Don't look at us, look at this, which is something that governments have been doing for years and years and years, and Bojo is doing uh, doing it right now as we speak. But for a low-budget film, it looks gorgeous. You're right back there in the 80s, and it looks and feels like a video nasty. It's got this grubby, dirt-under-your-nails kind of feel to it. 
a lot of love has gone into this film from production design, the rooms and the corridors where Enid works look and feel like a dungeon, to the sound design, which is lots of lovely bassy distortion going on. The film isn't scary. It goes for atmosphere rather than jump scares and doesn't quite manage to get under the skin, but you will have a lot of fun watching it. So that is, that's my number three. My number two, Last Night in Soho. Edgar Wright's horror film wrapped up in a murder mystery that's a love letter to swinging 60s London. It's a breath of fresh air to watch a horror film that's not a sequel, a reboot, a retcon. And visually, it's beautiful. You can tell that Edgar Wright has watched a lot of Dario Argento films with the bright, blistering colours that he's got going on, the palette that he's got going on in the film. The narrative keeps you hooked with plenty of devious and nasty twists going on in it. And the performances are also up there with special mention has to go to the late Diana Rigg giving her last and one of her best performances. Uh, if you haven't seen it, give it a go. It's it's oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. But my number one, my number one horror film of the year, A Quiet Place Part Two. Yeah. Oh, the world, it, we didn't need a sequel to A Quiet Place, but we got one anyway. Um, <laughs> let's be fair. But thankfully, instead of being a cynical cash cow that retreads the same ground, part two feels like a logical continuation to the story. First film sets up the rules. The enjoyment that you get from the sequel is the, the, the tension comes from watching the characters break those rules and going, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> a standout scene right at the start of the film is where it's a, it's a flashback. We flash back to how the monsters, how they attack early on. John Krasinski is back for, for a little cameo and he's there battering and clanging around this local store and you know what's coming. <laughs> and, and what follows just doesn't stop for breath. It's like, it's like welcome back. Love it. It's, you'd think writer-director Krasinski had, had done all he can with the don't-make-a-sound premise. But, but oh no, part two is it's just as tense, it's just as clever, it's just as original. It's also just as cruel as the first film. Newborn baby? Oh yeah, they're put in danger. They're put in life-threatening peril. <laughs> if A Quiet Place is one of the best horrors of the century, then part two is definitely, and I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out, is the best horror film sequel of the century. And part three has already been given the green light and can't wait to see it. So we've had our nice list. We've had Matt's horror list. Now it's time to get on to the naughty list. Naughty, naughty films of the year. These are films that are not necessarily all bad, but are bad enough that think they need to go out on the naughty step for a while. This is um, my favourite part of the year, you know. <laughs> you get to vent. It's cathartic. Oh, it really is. A lot of anger, and you know, in the last two years, there's been a lot of anger and frustration. It yeah. gets a bit sweary. The air gets a bit blue. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, let's let's get it started. I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to to either of you. First film I've got on my naughty list is No Time to Die. Absolutely on my list as well. Bad Daniel Craig. Very bad, bad Daniel Craig. Bad. No, 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 no. Not bad, bad Daniel Craig. No, to be bad fair. Bad Carrie fucking Argan. 
Terrible. Bad Barbara Broccoli by Michael G. Wilson. Bad, bad. Bad. I'm going to yeah. put you over my knee and slank you. Let's skip it because we, we, we've done this a whole show on this. We, if you exactly. want to hear our ramblings on No Time to Die, please check out yeah. a couple of podcasts back. <laughs> yeah. We, we have spoken at length about the good, the bad, the indifferent of it, but I couldn't go without mentioning it because, Absolutely. yeah, naughty film. It's the worst film of the year in my book. Oh, what, well, in terms of hype and then... And yeah, hype and just meh. Mm. Mm. Got you. But then, was it ever going to meet up to the hype? True. If they hadn't made it the way they'd done it, probably yes. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> it's a question for another time, I believe. An ultimate yes. universe answer. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, bad bond. Right. Do you want to go next, Matt? Go on then. Ah, oh, exercise the demons. I'm going to go straight in. Cruella. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the point of it when the film was announced. I didn't see the point of it when I watched the trailer. And I didn't see the point of it when I watched the film. <laughs> Emma Stone isn't Cruella. You, you can argue that the film is Cruella becomes her, but the character still needs to be recognisable. You still need to be watching it thinking, oh, yeah, I'm watching Cruella. Emma Stone puts on a posh accent, a wicked smile, and, and just hopes for the best. <sighs> Nothing in this film can distract you from the fact that it's a cynical cash cow. We're, we're supposed to sympathise with, with Cruella. It's, it's, it's a tried and tested formula. It, she, she's not evil, she's just complicated. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh, God. Instead of trying to retcon 101 Dalmatians, what I would have done if I was writing this, if you'd have given me that pen... Why didn't the film embrace how evil Cruella is? Let us revel in the glitz and the campness from the animated film, Cruella. Make it a character study. Evil takes on many forms. Why didn't, why didn't Disney do that? Probably because House of Mouse would shit themselves at just the very thought of that. <laughs> and why, why try something new when you can roll out something that's tired and straightforward and the cash still rolls in? Watch, watch the original animated film or watch the Glenn Close films. Just, just don't bother. Don't bother. Uh, speaking of cash cows, like I was saying at the start of the summer when things started opening up again, I, I in, in, for myself, uh, Shielder Boy here was allowed outside and to do things and you know had 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 jabs in his arms. Going to the cinema was was, was a was an absolute yeah let's go so so me and the wife uh, went shopping on the afternoon and we thought well we'll go and get some, catch a movie we don't know what's out we've just lost track of what's on so it was one of those occasions you go to the cinema you go rock up you go what's on and the only film time and the only film that actually we thought we'll give a go was Space Jam a new legacy oh you didn't I did oh you I did. didn't it was a date night mate it was a date night mate watching oh, Space Jam a new legacy. What I would uh, you know, Space Jam a New Legacy is Space Jam a waste of time. Like if you want to see Space Jam, watch Space Jam. It's just yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. Like it's disjointed. It's got no sense of the originals fun. They've made the Looney Tunes more woke tunes. They've made it the, wor the worst part about this film 
for me, never mind all, all, all the <laughs> me going on about woke, but the the worst part about this film is it, you know, let's, let's be honest, I'm a middle-aged man, it's not designed for me, so maybe I shouldn't like it. The worst part about this film, it is, it's a kid's film, but all the jokes, all the references are aimed at adults, because within Space Jam, he's... LeBron James this time not Michael Jordan is sucked into Looney Tunes world but it's not Looney Tunes world it's Warner Bros world inside their big cyber system and they're sucked into Warner Bros world and one of them is the Looney Tunes world the other one the other one of the other universes is the DC universe with all the uh, superhero characters and spoiler not you see all the superheroes. You see Superman. You see Batman. You see Wonder Woman. You see the Flash. You see them in action. But not one of those characters utters a single word because they obviously didn't have any of the voice actors to do any of the roles or anyone who could do a similar voice acting of those roles. They don't say a word. Superman smiles and nods, doesn't say a word. And it's things like that. You go, I think you're fine, Mr. Warner Brothers. Children are smart. Children will notice that their superhero characters haven't said a word. And then the the other there were the other two universes. One was Game of Thrones world. What? I, I, I shit you not. <laughs> what? I shit you not. Game of Thrones world was one of the worlds in in New Space Space Jam Legacy, and the dragons flew around, and and that's how they broached that. And you're like, right, so you're not going to have the incest, the the naked women. Uh, <laughs> The torture and chopping the penises off in this film, are you? Okay, well, uh, but you're going to mention a, a famous program that has all those things in it, which, you know, really jams nicely with your Space Jam image. <laughs> and then the other universe, and I've now figured out where, where things went wrong with this, was the Matrix universe. They were referencing the Matrix trilogy and you had the cartoon characters doing all the bullet time and everything. And I was literally sat there going, these are 20 out of date, years out of date jokes. I don't mm. get it. And my brain, like literally when I was putting this together to, to talk about this, my brain went, wait a minute, COVID hit. This film must have been planned to be in the cinema at the same time as the Matrix 4. Mm. And maybe it made, made more sense, but still it wouldn't. All the jokes... All the references are on the properties that Warner Bros. can use, and they decided to use the Matrix as, as a world, and they decided to use Game of Thrones as a world. You know, Harry Potter, the, the, that would have been a good world that they could have done a lot more with. Uh, but no, it's it's just a... Uh, if, if there's ever a, an example of a sequel that was just pointless no need and just lackluster and just made you go what <laughs> honestly avoid this film like the play it's not that I'm angry it's not that I'm disappointed it's just that I wish I could get the time back in my life <laughs> oh. was there really nothing else on there was really nothing else on. There was nothing else on. We gave Space Jam a go. Wow. All right, then. Well, bless you. I did it well, to the name of the show. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, Reese, a lot of what you just said there can apply to the next film that's on my naughty list. A lackluster sequel that didn't need to be made. Wish I could get the time back from it. 
and I'll be very honest with you, considering how much I thoroughly disliked the original film, why I put myself through the sequel is, well, I mean, I was clearly feeling in a very masochistic mood, but I let me be a warning, let me, let me be a, a lesson to you all. Venom, let there be carnage. You oh, watched Venom no, too. You watched that. You watched it. You did not learn from the first one. Did I watched it? Oh, mate, what have you done? <sighs> Wasted was... an hour and a half of my time. Is what I, I was going to ask if Andy Circus did a good job, but uh, I'm going to say <laughs> that's a that's a no. No, he, no, he didn't. Nobody did. Nobody did. I will say two complimentary things about that absolute train wreck of a film. The first one is it's only 97 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. It, it, It doesn't, it doesn't piss around. It doesn't take, you know, kind of plus two hours to completely stink up the screen. And the second thing that I think is probably worth, worth the mention is they've sorted out Woody Harrelson's hair. (laughs) Because <laughs> he looked like he was wearing an absolutely atrocious hairpiece in the, the final bit of the original Venom. Looked like, kind of like a ginger fright wig. Uh, this one, no, no, they've, he doesn't look quite so ridiculous now. The entire thing was a waste of time, a waste of talent. Naomi Harris and Michelle Williams are utterly wasted. Uh, because the female roles are so paper thin, and that's saying something. <laughs> Tom Hardy does, bless him, he does his best. That's that's what I can say. Is you can see he's trying, but there is only so much rolling in glitter you can do with a turd. Um, <laughs> yeah. The one thing though that is interesting about it is actually actually nothing to do with the film itself. The, well, the main action of the film, shall I say. Because, <laughs> as there is now, because it seems to now be fucking law that this happens, there's a mid credit sequence. But what is interesting is that they take Venom, which is a Sony Marvel... Sony Universe of Marvel characters, whatever the fuck they're calling it now, but basically have transplanted him into the MCU. How have they done that? Because I'm not going to watch the film. Because, well, in the, the pre-credits thing, Venom and Brock are chilling out because uh, obviously they've gone on the run. Cause, and then there's some form of glitch that takes them into a different universe. And what cause they were watching a telenovela on the, on the screen and then the glitch happened. And then what they actually see is J. Jonah Jameson's uh, expose of... Peter Parker, a Spider-Man that was from No Way Home. Right. Okay. So they, they end up being one of the villains that turns up from different universes. Yeah. I, I don't know what it means. I don't know if they turn up in the I, end of the of the No Way Home fight. Part of me, part of me doesn't really care. Cool. <laughs> it was just uh I Reese, it was very much like you. It was get back to the cinema, get get back and get to see something get to Watch sit in the dark something room. something something yeah. new yeah yeah but jesus christ don't waste your time on this <laughs> <laughs> so with that in mind Matt, have you got another one my friend i do i do 
you're not going to like this race. You're not going to like it. This one I like, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh, okay. 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 Uh, Interesting. Marvel's first blockbuster with a practically all-Asian cast. I was intrigued. I was expecting set pieces with the imagination and the finesse of the John Wick films. I feel like I set the bar way too high way right too at high. the beginning. Way too, way too high. With the exception of the bus scene, which to be fair, is excellent. Yes. It's another by-the-numbers Marvel origin story. If it ain't broke, why fix it? I'll give you that. It's, it's, it's bland, half hour CGI, fight scenes that don't really do anything different to any other Marvel film. You know, you, know you said we weren't going to talk about Marvel. I will say that surely the longevity of the, the blockbuster superhero film relies on it trying to do something new and setting itself apart, yeah. surely, which Shang-Chi doesn't do. If, if Marvel carries on like this, I, I'm going to I'm going to do some kind of prophesizing here. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to stick my neck out. If Marvel continues on this road years down the line, People are going to look at the MCU the same way they look as look at carry-on films. It's twee, it's outdated, and it's from a different time. Oh there, my. I said it. Oh I said it. And don't even get me started on the CGI dragons at the end and how long that that gump went on for. It would make Zack Snyder wince at how long that went on for. Jesus wept. Just wrap the film up. Out of interest, Matt. Out of interest. Have you seen Eternals? Oh, God. I'm, I, I, just, I just can't be... I'll be honest with you, Reese. If you hadn't have said, let's go and watch Shang-Chi, I wouldn't have bothered. Fair. So I'm just going to so, say, if, you, if this is how vespy you feel about Shang-Chi, may I suggest you don't watch Eternals? I, I I have no plans. I have no plans. Let me just let me just I'll just I'll just go right. Marvel has a mold and they're sticking to it and they're not taking any chances. <laughs> right. Martin Scorsese a few years back described Marvel films as just roller coasters, theme parks. I think Francis Ford Coppola went even further and called them despicable. Now I wouldn't go that far. I am not in that camp, but whether or not you agree, it does feel like the theme park ride, it's getting stale now. It, 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 it's run out of steam. Marvel do, yeah, the, the buy the numbers thing isn't working now. They, 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 they need to mix it up. Admittedly, I haven't watched the TV shows on Disney+, Plus, which, by, from what I've heard, do try and stir things up. But so far as yeah. the films, uh, Can I can't I... be dealing with buy the numbers anymore. I can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. Talking of films that you wish you could get your life back with, and also remember the vein that we're talking about here is a dark time. It was, set your minds back to almost a year ago, where we were not vaccinated. We were scared to go out. We, we were more scared to go out. We were more scared to breathe the air around us, to be in company of friends and family. This feels like a film trailer. Okay, you like it? <laughs> I do, I am liking it, carry on. Imagine yeah. this world. Imagine a time where Reese Jones, a cinema buff, wasn't able to go to the cinema to enjoy films that he does normally. 
starved of choice, starved of anything new. He, he was looking for something new, something that was outside in the world that he was not allowed out of because he was shielded away. In this world was Now TV's lineup of Sky's owned financed films because they'd run out of stuff to put on Sky movies so they suddenly had films that they'd paid for for dirt bottom stuff that would have been 99p in a DVD shop. You are building this up. You Ladies really are. Ladies and gentlemen, one night I was awake and I was bored. I was in the mood for action. And more importantly, I wanted something new. This film actually has one of its stars is Andy Serkis. So here's another <laughs> linkage. It is a film called, and it's based on a novel by Andy McNabb. It is called S.A.S. Red Notice. I've never even heard of this film. <laughs> She's never even heard of it. Sounds awful. <laughs> so SAS Just the title. Red Notice. Sounds awful. SAS colon Red Notice. So I'm guessing they thought they were going to have other films with other titles beginning with SAS colon. <laughs> it is. It's based. I'll stop doing the voice now. It's based on a, a based on a, a series of novels by Andy McNabb. Andy McNabb is heavily involved in it. I saw that. I thought, brilliant, Andy McNabb is involved. Let's, let's give it a go. Um, it is about a small army of well-trained criminals led by Grace Lewis have hijacked a train deep beneath the English Channel. It's kind of die hard in the Channel Tunnel. Uh, and there's an SES operative that happens to be on the train with his girlfriend. And like, I literally was like, it's a die-hard movie. I can go with this. It's a, a primarily a British cast. It's the SAS. You know. It's when got... you say it like that, I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm you'd watch this. it. Right? You'd give it yeah. a go. Right? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> if you are, you're going to watch it and realise just how bad this film is. It's actually, yeah, I'd say it's that bad. It's No, it's not good. It's that bad. You kind of want to watch it and see how bad this forgive, train wreck it is. It's... It's just there. So, yeah, that's the premise. You've got a cast including uh, an actor called Sam Hugan. Hugan? Um, Hugan. Hugan. I've never Is seen him in anything else before. The, the guy from Outlander. He's from Outlander, apparently, that I've not watched. Yeah. No, is that, no, is it the guy from Outlander? Yes, it is. Yeah, but like, Hugan. Sam Hugan. He is actually quite good in it. He is believable as an SES soldier. He could be Bond. But... If he tried to use this on his CV to try and get the role, he ain't going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> He's really good in it. You've got Ruby Rose in it as the villain. She's terrible. She's absolutely terrible. She shouldn't be allowed to be in a film ever. Uh, I mean, you've got Andy Serkis. You've got Hannah John Kamen. And, be, and this, by the way, was the uh, beginning of 2021 before the news of Noel Clark came out. And Noel Clark is in this ah. film. Noel Clark oh. warning. Noel Clark warning. Warning. Noel Clark is in this film. <laughs> He's terrible. But the, <laughs> the, the, the whole premise of this film, you know, has the Channel Tunnel train trapped between England and France hostages have taken the train now you would think that if that is your set piece of this film that you are financing that you would make sure that the sets that have been built don't look like they are from 1960s doctor who 
made of a balsa wood <laughs> plasticine, and maybe if they can stretch to some sticky back plastic. It is honest to God, the 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 sets, the scale, the scale of things just doesn't doesn't look right. Like the the tracks on when they're walking down the tracks, you're like, that doesn't look like a full scale track. And and the angles that you know that you they've got these you know the men they've they've done these tricks where they've got physical sets that go around a corner and have like this and obviously they've done it so that the set goes smaller and goes round to give distance but you just sat there going that set's going smaller and you know you're <laughs> you're seeing they're seeing the edges is what I'm saying you're seeing the edges all the way around the guns mm. look too pristine there's it there's no gun on anyone there's and and when when the character starts getting dirty, it's obvious. It's like I better put some dirty makeup on because I've been in a fight. It's 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 that level of like filmmaking that just makes you want to cry. You want to cry out, "Why God? Why why am I stuck inside? Why am I watching this? Why can't I escape? Why am I shielding? I might as well just go outside, catch the virus, and die." This film is awful. Is what I thought at the time. But obviously, I so a low point. A low point. It was a low point in my pandemic life. (laughs) Um, This film didn't help in any way. This film hindered my sanity. In fact, it made me run to the cinema and watch Fast and Furious Nine. And I love Fast and Furious Nine for God's sake. It was a breath of fresh air. Fast and Furious Nine is like an Oscar-winning phenomenon film compared to this travesty of a film. If I would ever give someone a film of how not to make a film, it wouldn't be The Room anymore. It would be this film. It is absolute dog shit. It is one of those things that I wish I could not just take back from my life. I wish I could take it back from society, from the world. <laughs> I would. I wish you could go back in time, take the budget of this film, and give it to multiple charities that would do some better good with it. It is absolute <laughs> shit. Absolute shit. <laughs> Follow that, Tess. I tell you what, Matt, I don't think he liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Call me, I mean, you know, perhaps I'm, perhaps I'm being a bit too negative, but I, I don't think that was that was a pleasant film. Matthew, have you got anything else? I do. Oh, I do. I, oh, I, I honestly thought I had the worst film of 2021, but... You... Uh, it's, it's possibly Shakespeare compared to, uh, <laughs> to you know, compared to what Reese has been watching. My worst film of uh, twenty twenty one, Halloween Kills. Really, that's your worst film. Wow. Yes, what? by a country mile, by a good country mile. Let me let me tell you tell you a, a story. Uh, Reese says, so, uh, "Sit back and uh, get comfy." I'm, so I'm uh, intrigued now. Once upon a time, John Carpenter made Halloween back in 1978, a stone-cold horror classic, regularly in lists of the best horror films ever made. Fast forward to 2018, where director David Gordon Green gives us Halloween the reboot. He just called it Halloween. Should have called it Halloween H4O. Just call it anything other than Halloween. But it's a surprisingly decent sequel. It did not need a follow-up. It certainly doesn't need a trilogy. But here we are. What made the original John Carpenter Halloween so special is you didn't know when Michael Myers was going to jump out at you. So Carpenter would give you nothing when there should be something, when you've got the music, and then nothing when there's no music and Michael Myers jumps out of you, no warning, and ah! That, that, was the, that was the genius of it. In Halloween Kills, 
let, let, let me sum up the film for you. This is what happens in Halloween Kills. Michael walks into a room and kills everyone in the room. He walks into the next room and kills everyone in the room. He walks into the room after that and kills everyone in the room. That is Halloween Kills in a nutshell. In all fairness, I mean, you can't kind of accuse the film of false advertising. Oh, there's a lot of killing. There is a lot of killing. There is killing. Yeah, you can't can't ask for your money back. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of death in this film. It, yeah, when the creepy music starts playing, when John Carpenter heals, he's wheeled back to do the synth score. Or as soon as it starts playing, out comes Michael Myers. Mm. There's there's no tension. There's no scares. Michael Myers isn't so much the boogeyman in this. He's the Terminator. <laughs> it, oh, it, it has the opening of this film has it is it's the most unintentionally funny funny scene i I, if there is a more unintentionally funny scene in 2021 it's where michael myers massacres a load of firemen in just all sorts of imaginary bloodthirsty ways the michael myers of the 1978 halloween would maybe have killed one Two and then sculpt maybe maybe nicked an axe and then skulked off into the night. Oh no, he decimates an entire fire crew with them doing panto kind of help me, help me, no. It's it's just so bad. And even the dialogue, David Gordon Green has done the script again, but the, the dialogue, it's all stuff that you could stick on a film poster. To quote some of it, I'm gonna this is acting. fear people are afraid that is the true curse of michael myers uh well as well as with the stuff uh, he needs to die and i'm the one that's gonna get him oh god that's an actual And, and, and my personal my personal favorite i'm gonna rip his mask off swing old huckleberry here and say night night oh God. It's it's everything it's, in me has just <laughs> on the plus oh, side. Oh, it is oh. it is not Halloween six. I mean, I've never I've not I've never seen the Rob Zombie Halloween two, just because oh, I've heard God. bad things about that. But it's certainly it's not as bad as Halloween six, but it's close. <laughs> there's there's no there's no Celts. That are controlling Michael Myers and making him do what he do whatever he's doing. It's not that bad, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> and the thought that there is another film on the way, just oh no, just 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 let it just let it die, let it die. Oh, yeah, don't bother. I'm not going to bother with that then. No, me neither. Well, I just hope. 2022 is going to be better. Okay, so that's the the good, the bad, and the downright ugly of 2021. You can take the ugly as a symbolism for the pandemic or just downright awful filmmaking. 
your own choice. But we obviously, as ever, with uh, the watches, we look forward and we look forward massively to next year because the three of us will be able to go to the cinema a lot more. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, fingers crossed that things don't change in that direction. But we're going to think positively. We're going to look forward to it. But either, even before the end of the year, and you know, by the time this film comes out, one probably will be released, but we want to watch them and be able to review them. But I am looking forward to finishing off the year with, with Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. And I'm also look, I am looking forward to watching Matrix uh, Resurrections, which is a massive uh, uh, shame that they didn't go with Matrix rebooted. But amen, amen. But that there are two films that come out at the end of the year. Matt, what about you? What are you looking forward to in twenty twenty two? A film that's actually coming out in a few weeks, and I'm not normally a big musicals fan, but this is I've seen this on stage, and I oh yeah, love it. West Side Story, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yep, I, I, I will. I will be sat with my bum in the cinema watching watching that. It's, it's, I'm intrigued what Spielberg does with this. Being a horror fan, the, the film that I'm most looking forward to next year, Scream. Yes, yeah, mate. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. The trailer looks good. It looks good. It looks uh, intriguing. I like the I, I like the idea of it that everything kind of from the sound of it is coming back to the first film. Essentially, the killer could be a child from one of the original cast members or one of the yeah. surviving cast members related that it's connected. Lomas uh, Junior. Yeah, I'm all up for it. All up for it. It's it's a shame that Wes Craven isn't directing it. Yeah, that's, I find that's, that's difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, that that would be tricky. That would be tricky. tricky. Um, but <laughs> Tez, um, <laughs> that's a shame. Bad Tez. naughty Tez, naughty Tez. No Christmas presents for you. Oh, you could, do, you could just get a fucking Ouija board. It'll be all right. <laughs> this was one of my favourite films as a child. It got panned when it was first released, but I didn't care. I loved it. Loved it, and I still do. It is camp, glorious fun, and please. Please, God, do not mess this up. Hocus Pocus 2. Hocus Pocus 2. It's a cash cow. It's a complete cash cow. But I will be watching it. Absolutely be watching it. It's it's the original. Am I right in thinking that the is is everyone back? Everyone's back. The the three Sanderson sisters are back. Everyone's back. And they've had a, um, there was the, the Disney Plus Day. Recently, they did show the three of them in costume, and I tell you what, it doesn't look like any time has passed. Oh, they look oh, like they did thirty odd years ago. It's it's uncanny. It's slightly terrifying, but they looked, and it was just like, yes, yeah. That's... I mean, is it witchcraft or is it Berry Hill surgery? Who knows? Find out next year. <laughs> Oh, don't mess this up either, because I I love these films. I I love a good kung fu film, and this this, this is a franchise that just the fighting, the choreography is just it's beautiful. It's it's beautiful in a gory, wonderfully violent way. But next year, John Wick Chapter Four. Amen. Oh, I love them. I love the John Wick films. They, they, John Wick they 3, are... mate, when we saw the, the knife melee sequence in John Wick 3, I think we almost burst a blood vessel like, oh, from us. You, 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 when, you, when you watch an action film and you're there going, how did they do that? How and did they, they do that? Yeah, every John Wick film, they just managed to, yeah. They, you just... And all about a dead dog. 
It's, it's all about a dead dog. <laughs> Which just goes to show you never kill the animals. Never kill oh. the animals. You never kill wow. the dog. If you do, you end up with a psychopath coming after you. Absolutely. Things, things, things have escalated very quickly. <laughs> from, from killing a dog, things have escalated very quickly. And rightly so. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Bad form, bad form. And I'm going to watch this. I'm intrigued. It's the Batman. Oh, yes. yeah. A jury's out for me on that one. I, so I was the same until I saw the trailer. It's like, oh, David Fincher does Batman. I will okay. say, I will say, you watch the trailer online at home. It doesn't have the same impact as that same trailer on a big screen in a cinema. Suddenly, it has so much more going for it visually. Hmm. But still... It's not just Robert Pattinson. I'm not convinced he'll be a bat- good Batman. I'm, they, like That's why I said the jury's out. Everything else, the cast involved, everything else, brilliant. For me, I would have liked to have seen not them retredge what we've already seen. As in, Batman Begins basically is what the same storyline as the Batman. Like There's there's plenty of other parts in the, fo- the lore of, of, of Wayne that you could do rather than just redredge year one comic once more. And also there's, there's loads of villains in this, which also, any time you know a superhero movie with too many villains, <laughs> there's, there's problems. Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 3. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Batman and Robin. <laughs> anyway. Jury's out, though. Jury's out. I will, I am, I am looking forward to it, and I will go and watch it and give it its best Give it a best chance to, to enjoy it, mm. but I um, mm. good luck. <laughs> that, but that that's that's me. That's that's what I'm looking forward to next year. It's a good rundown. Tessa, do you want to go next? Yeah, I will do. A couple of the films that I'm really looking forward to have already been mentioned. So, uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home, West Side Story. Another one that didn't realise was out around Christmas time, but one that I will definitely be going to see is The King's Man. Yeah, I'm oh to that. yes, that yeah. should be an awful lot of fun. I love the the, the previous two Kingsman films, so mm. um, well, things. albeit prequel, but should be a good part of that. Going to get a little bit highbrow now. Oh, here we go. Um, two that I two that I really want to see that are due kind of end of January, beginning of February time, if things stick as they are as they should be. One is Death on the Nile. Finally being released. Only taking about two years, but yeah, looking looking forward to that one. And the other one is Joel Cohen's version of Macbeth with Denzel Washington. If for no other reason than just my brain going, how the fuck is that going to work? How? 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 What? Why? Three? These three bits and Shakespeare, and it just how? How are you going to do this, Joel? I really want to see it. <laughs> and I really, and I, it's not in a case of me going, oh, they're going to fuck it up. Oh, it's going to be wrong. Oh, it's going to be this. Oh, it's going to be that. It is literally just a, you have assembled this, um, this cast. You've assembled this, this kind of piece of work. Yeah, what what's it going to look like? I want to see this. And then the <laughs> others that I want to see. Uh, they are all comic book movies of of different stripes. First one is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, look forward to that one. Really look forward to My that. brain is going, how are you going to pull this one off? The second one, because I, I thoroughly enjoyed 
the original film. It's which now and it now has a title Across the Spider Verse Part One. So yeah. from Spider-Man into the Spider Verse, they're, they're doing the first sequel to that. And the other one, again, because it's been a project that's been so long in gestation with one thing and another, I just want to see how it's done, is The Flash. Yeah, that is massively on my list. Yeah. And there's bound to be more that pop up throughout the year that kind of we forget that were being released or have been shunted around. But yeah, so that's just a, a little taste of some of, some of what I'm looking forward to. Grace, how about yourself? My list is extensive. <laughs> I will add to the flavour. Let's first go with the uh, superhero movies that haven't been mentioned that I'm looking forward to as well, which is Black Adam with Dwayne Johnson, which is a continuation of the Shazam universe in the DCEU. It's been a long di- di- digested project. It's a love project for, for Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And um, if there's ever been a superhero, if you don't know the comic books, look it up. Look at like a, uh, what Black Adam look like, looks like in the, in the comic books and you'll just go, dear God, that's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Whatever one that I'm looking forward to is Batgirl, which is going to be fantastic, which is being made for streaming. Uh, it's going to be part of HBO Max, but it's being filmed right now. They've started filming, and J.K. Simmons is back as uh, Barbara's dad. So it is now officially linked to the DCEU movie universe, so I'm massively looking forward to that. Another one I'm looking forward to is Aquaman 2 with uh, Jason Momoa back again. He is filming that at the moment. I'm looking forward to that. That's coming out at the end of the year. That looks like more watery goodness. I'm looking forward to even though I wasn't a big fan of the third one but it's the same director and actor tease back for the first time out of all of the MCU to get a fourth in a series not uh, of films it's for Love and Thunder the return of Natalie Portman I'm massively actually looking forward to seeing what they do with that I'm gonna, uh, you've mentioned it but repeat this one uh, out of all of the superhero films and but the one I want to emphasize I am massively looking forward to this film and it's one that Tez mentioned and it is The Flash it's not because I'm a massive fan of The Flash at all. I, I like the character of The Flash. I like the TV series of The Flash. But the reason I'm looking forward to The Flash more than anything is the fact that it will have two Batman, Batmen in it. You'll have Ben Affleck will be returning, I believe, for one last time in this film as Batman. Um, but the thing that I'm most looking forward to of all of 2022 is the return of Michael Keaton to the role of Batman. And it's the original Batman he played in the 1989 and 1992 film. It is Tim Burton-esque. The sizzle reel and the trailer they showed, it's the original Batmobile from those movies. It's the original cave dynamic. It's the original costumes when Batman returns. He's playing Bruce at the age he is now. It's an older Bruce. It's kind of Acker, Batman Beyond. Honest to God, I am so excited by that film that I, I may explode um with geek gasm energy yep it happened but that is one <laughs> of the films the other films that are non-superhero based films that i'm looking forward to it's one that i said back on our uh, review of the show 2019 would you believe that i was looking forward to is top gun maverick i am looking forward to seeing top gun maverick let's oh, see if something else pisses on my childhood <laughs> Yeah, there might be a homoerotic volleyball match, we can only hope. And that is everything that I want from a film. But I'm looking forward to that. Another one that I'm hoping they won't piss on the chips and ruin my, my 20-somethings 
is Kevin Smith has done a follow-up and a sequel to Clerks. He's done Clerks Free, and that comes out next year. I'm massively looking forward to it, because Tez mentioned it before, but this is the story of the guys in the clerk store making a film about their lives as clerks. <laughs> and that's the premise of the film. And they're basically, basically where they are now as they're middle-aged, and they decide that they're going to make a film, and the film they make is basically word for word the scenes from the original Clerks movie so they kind of return their lives and I thought that's quite a clever idea and a quite a clever quirky image of doing it it's not just roll out a new donkey and fart gags you know what I mean <laughs> Mission Impossible 7 I'm massively looking forward to seeing that next one and seeing what they do with that franchise I'm looking forward would you believe it to Downton Abbey 2 the new era I'm actually looking forward to the next oh is that our Downton next Abbey. year I'm looking forward to that next year I'm looking forward to Pixar's new film which is called Lightyear which is actually imagine if Buzz Lightyear who you know the toy Buzz Lightyear imagine that you get to see the uh, accompanying movie to that toy so the story of Lightyear the actual story of Buzz Lightyear of Star Command that is what the movie is it's called Lightyear Chris Evans takes over the voicing of the new Lightyear and I'm looking forward to that the trailer looks fantastic another one I'm looking forward to is Jurassic Park World Dominion whatever the sixth one is and that's coming out we'll give that a go even though the last one was tragic but we're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to that because the original cast is Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum and Laura Duramac. So that is why I'm looking forward to that one. And then I'm also looking forward to touching upon what Matt said about Disney Hocus Pocus 2. For me, and the one I'm looking forward to next year is Disenchanted, which is the long time coming to us uh, sequel to Enchanted. It's set those years later where the, the princess is married and she's disenchanted with life and it's not the happy ever she thought it was going to be. And that's the premise of this, this film. And the final one on this long list of films that I'm looking forward to next year is Sylvester Stallone uh, called Samaritan. No, not Expendables 4. Uh, Samaritan. Uh, it's basically a young boy befriends a older man who he believes is a superhero who has become a recluse and I believe Sylvester Sloan is indeed that Asian superhero that this young boy befriends and that's what I'm looking forward to in 2022 and I, and I can now breathe <gasps> <laughs> so there we have it what we liked about 2021 what we didn't and what we're looking forward to in the coming year so it just remains for us to say thank you very much for joining us have yourselves a merry little Christmas and a wonderful new year, and may 2022 be great for us all. Merry Christmas! If you've enjoyed what you've heard and you want to hear more and you want to know more about us, Watchers Productions, you can find out everything about us and all the shows we do over at watchersproductions.com.